Welcome to the Home Team Podcast, a place where we discuss the intersection of faith, sports, culture, and family. Today, in the midst of COVID-19, every one of us knows somebody uh, who's either a hero working uh, in the hospital, uh, doing delivery, um, trying trying to help. And we probably all know someone right now who has become infected and families that are dear to us that have um, sadly been affected by this global pandemic. And today we wanted, when there's really no sports um, on the air, we we wanted to kind of switch it up a little bit. So Sam Ancho, take it away. So we're back on the home team podcast. And one thing we were, I think all of us are still struggling with is like how to react with this whole COVID-19 virus. Things are getting shut down. Uh, Even me personally, like I've been having a ton of emotions um, just with being at home all day and not knowing like what the future is going to hold. And also people who I see or who I work with, like not knowing what their future holds. And it got us thinking about like struggle. It's about struggle in life. And uh, one idea that, that we had a little while ago was just to get into our stories a little bit deeper. Uh, and so, Sam, wanted to start with you to hear about, like, I think I know and Steve knows a little bit about your background and how you grew up, but um, would love to just talk about, like, why you are the way you are. <laughs> like, um, please explain <laughs> yourself. Like, this, this trick no, has for issues. Real because, please tell us why. <laughs> well, I mean, like, but not only that, but why you decided to live in the place that you decided to live. Because um, I think it's probably different than a lot of people would would guess or would assume. And then lastly, just this whole idea of like struggling and like the the a time in your life, whether it was a, the, the the lowest time in your life or just a defining moment in your life that um, kind of helped you understand like what life's really all about. Yeah. So I think like most American kids, I grew up thinking that one of the goals of life, or maybe not even thinking, just sort of assuming that one of the goals of life was to not struggle was to do everything I could to avoid difficulty or pain or struggle. So um, inevitably, <laughs> it hits all of us. For me, I was one of those privileged kids in a way um, in terms of most of my childhood, I didn't experience struggle. I mean, my struggle as a kid growing up in a, a middle-class home in in Phoenix was that I had a lot of chores and my parents were super strict, right? So compared to some of my friends at school, that was a struggle. But in in actuality, it wasn't. My parents did a really good job early on in life in exposing us um, to just what real life was for most people. My parents have run a an inner city ministry in Phoenix and now in Zimbabwe and in uh, South Sudan and in uh, Palestine, that's called uh, Madhouse Make a Difference. Um, and so I was exposed to a lot of, of different kinds of people early on in life. We went on trips to Ecuador and, and we're all over the world in different places. So I, I was able to see people struggle and, and sympathize, but I couldn't really empathize, right? There was a part of me that because you know, the hardest part of my year at my middle school was that I only got like one new pair of tennis shoes a year and my friends got a few more, you know, just stupid stuff like that. You know what the first thing that popped in my mind was? I remember in middle school, the big thing was all my friends had gushers at lunch 
and I had like some off-brand generic <laughs> thing. You know, like that was the struggle of my life. So if that tells you um, the the privilege I was living with as an American kid, um, that was that was kind of my childhood. I my dad's a coach, so I grew up loving sports and and wanting to be involved in sports any way I could. But unfortunately for me, I was just an above average athlete. So I would be one of the best ones at my school, but never good enough to be the best in the state or to be recruited at a high level. So I realized really early on in life that I wanted to do whatever I could to stay involved in sports because I knew I wasn't going to be a pro athlete. Um, so that kind of started the, the broadcast dream. But all along the way, um, I kind of lived, and we talked about this before in a previous podcast, but I kind of lived with this, this external confidence or certainty, but this internal anxiety of like, man, I got to figure all this out and make sure everything goes well, you know, and this fear of like, you know, when you grow up in the church, you hear a lot about uh, the word surrender and like giving your whole life to God. And there was always something in me that like that created this anxiety. Like I would sing the songs and like walk up to the altar at church camp literally every single night. I mean, people ask like, when did you first get saved? I'm like, I got saved a thousand times. Literally every church camp I ever went to. It's fine. Um, but, but I realized that there was something in me that was pushing against this idea of like complete surrender of my life. I still wanted to, cause I thought I could make it. And I don't know why I had that confidence. Cause I was never the prettiest or the smartest or the fastest or whatever, but there was something in me that, that was a, a dreamer and a go-getter. So I moved to New York on my own and I try and get this internship and I'm just figuring it out. And what I was experiencing along the way that Sam, to your question, goes to one of the biggest struggles of my life was I was always looking for identity, not my entire identity, but um, a, a strengthening of my identity through the approval of men, like not humanity, but literally men. Um, and I didn't realize that even as, as a as a young kid, um, you know, older people, whether it was coaches or I was always like, oh, she's the cute little good athlete. And I didn't realize that I had internalized that I had value because of my physical appearance and because I was good at sports. I didn't internalize that as a child, but what it had created over decades was that that made me okay in society. And so as a college student trying to figure life out in New York, the first uh, real relationship, like dating relationship I had, I got sucked in real quick. Like I, I didn't really date in high school. I wasn't, like I said, I had a strict dad, Sam, you know my dad. And uh, it was a scary situation for <laughs> anybody who was gonna come over. So that was off limits. And I got in a really toxic, um, unhealthy, put all of my, my self-worth in this, this relationship. And it went bad and went bad quick. And, um, you know, it's funny now because I look back and I remember, I don't know if you guys ever had, and hopefully you didn't, but I, I know that there are a lot of people out there that have had similar situations that at the time, the thought of that not working out was like, my whole life is over. You know, this this is this is life ending. And and now in hindsight, I'm like it was actually quite the opposite. <laughs> you know, like I I would have struggled in ways that um not to my benefit, that would literally just have been unhealthy and toxic and have 
and would have been life changing if I would have stayed in that relationship. Sam, but I'm long a, story I, short, yeah, go ahead. How was it getting out of that relationship? Because I know I'm, I'm I know there are people listening, and even me, like when I attach to things, it's like, man, like how do I get out? Like how what was that experience like? Yeah, I did it terribly. So uh, uh, we broke up. I can't even tell you how many times he was considerably not considerably. He was like four or five years older, but he was established. And in my mind, he, he was somebody and I was nobody, you know? And as an 18 year old girl living in New York city, trying to figure out life, not knowing anybody there. Um, you know, it was one of those things where I knew that the right thing was to get out of that relationship. So I would do that. And then of course the immediate feelings of, Oh no, now what am I going to do? You know, who am I without this? And, and technically I wasn't thinking that, but I can see now in hindsight that that's what I kept doing is kept going back to it. And unfortunately this sounds really extreme and it's because it was, it ended in two restraining orders. Like I, I had to get physically separated. Like I cannot be, I, I changed schools. I changed where I lived. I'd be like, I started a whole new life. And what I realized from that experience, and at the time it was so traumatic. And I'm always trying to remind myself of that now as a parent that I can look back in hindsight now and be like, Oh, it was fine. I'm fine now, you know? But at the time I felt like my entire future was on the line and everything was ruined. And and at, you know, by the time it ended, I guess I was 21 or 22, um, it felt like my world was just crumbling. And now I can see it was the grace and mercy of God and nothing else that got me beyond that. <laughs> like that was, that crumbling and that struggle and that... Um, just devastation on a number of fronts. I mean, fear for my my own well-being and safety, my fear about just a relation, the only relationship I really ever knew ending. All of that was um, was just grace upon grace upon grace that I did not deserve because I was not, I don't want this to ever sound like I'm like, oh, I was this innocent party and he was so terrible. I mean, he, he definitely did some terrible things, but I, I mean, I, I wanted things that I knew I shouldn't want. You know, like I was disobedient. I was foolish. I was, this isn't like I was doing everything right and it just all crumbled. Like, no, I was, I was bearing the fruit of what I had grown. You know, I, um, so, so yeah, it was to answer your question, I, I didn't get out smooth or clean or any of that. It was a process of years. But once I finally like, officially and in terms of like changing your phone number, changing your location. I mean, I had to do drastic stuff um, in order to really move on and get out of it. And the, the, the pain and the consequences of the way I lived and um, the type of relationship we had and how damaging and, and destructive it was, I'm still paying for that. Like, I hate when people tell their stories and they're like, and, you know, God forgave me and everything's great now. Like, no, 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 I'm, I'm still paying for that. And God did forgive me. Um, but there are consequences. There are consequences for, for your actions even early on in life, which is scary. But, um, but some of that still I can see the, the remnants of now. Isn't it wild, like, when you find yourself in a toxic relationship or a toxic culture and you, you named it but you really really begin to believe the sense that outside of this I'm done I'm nothing there's no future 
in Arabic, they have this word, it's fish mustakbal, and it literally means we have no future. And like, and I think oftentimes you can, you can find yourself going, if I don't work here, or if I don't, if, if, if I don't make this work, or if this doesn't pan out, I'm done. And you've moved across the country. You don't have family in New York. You've just got this and some chutzpah to try and make it. There's like a sense of, gosh, like being 18, 19 and how easy it could be to, to, to stay. But I love how drastic you had to get. And you look on the other side and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm like was far better, like far better than I gave myself credit as an 18 year old. Far and I've stronger. done it so many times since, right? So like yeah. I thought, oh, I, I learned from that, like this toxic relationship. <laughs> but then it would be a job. Oh, no. What if I don't get this job? What if this thing doesn't work out? Oh, what if we don't get this house? Oh, what if this pregnancy doesn't go right? Oh, what if our kid doesn't get into this school? It's always something. And I literally just, I mean, like in the last few weeks, had this epiphany, which is the dumbest thing ever. And I realize that this is not, I, I feel like I can't even call it an epiphany because it's such an obvious thing. But for so long, I had this anxiety of like, what if this thing doesn't work out? Just fill in the blank, whatever it is. And so my prayer to God would be like, please, like at the time, it would be like, please let this relationship work. Please change these things in him and like make this a right thing and please make it work. And I just now at how old am I? 34. <laughs> I've been I've been walking with God sometimes slower than others since I was probably, I don't know, eight. And I just now had this realization that my prayer should not be for whatever I want to work out, but that it should be that I just would feel God's presence and peace no matter what happens. Not even necessarily that I would want the thing that ends up happening. Because maybe that's a stretch for me at this stage of life. Like maybe in my own spiritual maturity, I'm not there yet. But that I could just pray that whatever happens, that I would just have a, a peace and a, a lack of anxiety about whatever the thing is. And unfortunately, that would have helped back then when I was 21. And it would have helped me, you know, two weeks ago when it felt like the world started crumbling and what's going to happen with work and what's going to happen with this. It's, it all kind of comes back to the same thing that what I really want isn't necessarily a change of my circumstances. It's a change of my soul, like something inside of me that's either living tense all the time or just could like take a deep breath. I don't know. Maybe that sounds really simplistic, but that's what popped in my mind. No, that's deep, man. That's deep because like I think about, I mean, Sam, you said you, a couple you said a lot, but there are a couple things that really really stood out. Um one of them was that as I was listening, the idea of, man, I knew what I needed to do, but I really didn't want to do it. And even if I did do it, I would go back. I mean, that's something I struggle with all the time. It's like, you know, people say, "Oh, Sam, you're indecisive or you're this." It's like, I'm not indecisive. I know exactly what I need to do, but for me it's like this fear of of what are people going to think? Or, or how much is this going to cost me? Or what is this going to cost me? Not money-wise, but, but like the people's opinions or whatever. Like it, It's this deal of like, I know the next step, uh, but I don't take it. And, I, and, then, and, then, and then, so that's one thing. The second thing that stood out was you talked about the grace. You talked about, man, if I, if I lose this thing that I love so dearly, it'll kill me. But in all reality, losing it is what actually like gave you life. 
You know what I mean? I think about like where we're at right now with this um, COVID situation. Like people have lost, I'm not going to say everything, but a lot. Jobs, job, not only not only their jobs, but also job security, which is a different thing. Um, identity, some people put their, I mean, even for football, like I go through this sometimes with free agency, but it's like, and, and I'm, we'll get to my uh, struggle story probably on a different episode, but it's like, man, you talk about this thing of identity. If I don't get this job, who am I, right? For me, it's like, man, like for so long, it's like, I've been a football player. I've been playing football. I've been the guy, the Christian, the nice, whatever. And it's like, what happens if I'm not nice anymore? What happens, what happens if I'm not playing football anymore? Like what, all these things that people have known me for. And so for, I just appreciate you sharing um, even some of that struggle because a lot of us go through it, you know, like the anxiety, the daily pressure of whatever weight you're carrying, whether it's a job title or the, trying to be the perfect mom or perfect dad. I mean, I feel that every day. It's weird when I think about how, even when you brought up like talking about the, the periods of life where we, where we struggled most, there's this immediate, when you look back on it, it's so easy to, for me, it's so easy for me to tell that story and to see how like, oh yeah, that was so clearly good for me. Like it was good for me early on to have some, some false identities stripped away, right? And then like uh, later on, I mean, so you think, oh, I got out of that, that bad relationship and then I get married, you know? And so for, for a lot of, of young women and men, that's the goal. Like once I get married, then you'll feel that relational security. Well, suddenly I get married and I've never felt more insecure in my entire life because I had put basically, now my my marriage coincided with my first year on college game day. So I had gone from um, in society being a, a nobody to all of a sudden being someone that people saw on TV and hey, let's pay attention to her because we have this weird thing of somebody's on TV, all of a sudden they matter. And so I got a lot of attention really suddenly. And then nine months later, I get married. And so then this weird thing happened where I, I basically took the attention of the college football male community and tried to remove that and put it all on my husband. Like, why, why aren't you making me feel uh, beautiful 24 hours a day? And why aren't you playing this role of like, you know, that whole concept, which is so ridiculous. And I would never have said that this was accurate, but this, you complete me, you're going to make me okay. Um, I wouldn't have admitted that when I got married, but I think there, there was this underlying expectation of now I don't need any any other male for security. Now I don't need anything else for security. And of course, just like every other human, like Christian couldn't play that role. <laughs> like literally only God himself can. So of course he wasn't going to be able to do that. So I got incredibly insecure. So then a few years go by and it's like, oh, well, if we have kids, you know, once we have kids or a year, geez, it was only a year. Then all of a sudden, oh, okay, as a mom, it was always the next thing, right? The next relationship, the next job, the next season of life. Once I have this amount of money or once I have this relationship or this status in society or whatever. So then I have kids. A couple kids go by and then the third one, like I told you guys in the last episode, we thought we were going to lose four days in. So then you have this moment of like, wait a second, God. Like this was not in the game plan, you know, like we did not. And I remember laying on the floor of Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City and just begging, just being like, God, I can't. And, and in hindsight, 
obviously I'm, I'm incredibly grateful that our, our daughter's okay now, but I can see how that experience, however painful it was, obviously both for her, um, as a newborn baby. And then for us as parents, so much growth and empathy and kindness. I mean, I had started, Sam, I don't know how you have avoided this and you've done such an incredible job at this. And it's one of the reasons you're one of my favorite people, but being in this industry, whether it's NFL or entertainment or media or whatever, it can harden you really quickly because everybody always wants something. And Steve, I know you understand this too. Like there, there's this constant sense of anytime somebody reaches out to you, it's never like, Hey, what's up? Just to say, Hey, what's up? You know, like there's always this expectation of more. And to be honest, it had gotten me jaded, like really jaded about people. Um, so much so that as even an extrovert that I think I naturally was, I just started to isolate. My friend group got really small and, um, and I just stayed home a lot of the time and going through that experience with Price, our youngest, it gave me a kindness and a compassion and empathy for people. And then having a seizure, uh, 10 months later or not even 10 months, six months later, um, it, it felt like, and I know this sounds weird to say, it felt like the kindness of God to let me experience sadness and despair and uncertainty um, and come out on the other side of it with a story to tell and people to connect to. Maybe that's a, a weird thing to say, but I, it felt kind. Tell us about the seizure. So I know Steve touched on it on the last episode because for people who don't know, Sam is like our hero. <laughs> um, so I think for different reasons though, because like I didn't know, if, I had no idea about the seizure. I had no idea. I just like, hey, Sam's awesome. She's a homie. I used to watch you on TV only the Shut up, only Sam. the last you like just, two months. You or literally so. just found out I was on TV. Like, I just last found out. week. Okay, okay. For everyone out there listening, Sam Sam literally asked me to do this podcast with he and Steve, and then hits me up one day and was like. Oh, hey, girl, I'm in the locker room right now and you're on TV. Congratulations. I said, Sam, I've been doing TV for 15 years. Like, what? I didn't know. I didn't, because I got games on Sundays. I didn't know. <laughs> Sam, I was on college game day. Okay, that's on Saturdays, but it's all I right. Don't like it's good. Football. It keeps me we humble. talked about this. I appreciate we you. We talked about this. Uh, but, uh, but no, but, but so Steve, I mean, Steve, you're like, man, like Sam and the seizure and everything. She's great. And I'm like, I didn't know. So, like, what happened? <laughs> oh, geez. There's so much I don't know. <laughs> uh, that is true. Um, yeah, so basically, and I'll try and say this as quickly as possible. So we live in New York in the fall, um, mostly so that I can get to NFL Countdown on Sundays, but also because Christian was in transition out of the NFL, and he thought he might want to go into finance or do venture capitalist stuff. Anyway, it was just a good place for our family to be. Um, we have a great community there. So we're there during the fall. And then after Christmas, we come back to Phoenix where we kind of have like a home base. And so it was the f it was the last weekend of December after after Christmas. And I was flying back from Phoenix to New York to do countdown um, on Sunday. I was flying on a Saturday and I got it. I'd done the same flight a million times before. So it's kind of just muscle memory. And I, I get on the flight and everything is totally fine. I didn't feel weird at all. And I put in my headphones 
to take a nap for a five hour flight. And when I woke up, I was laying flat on the ground on my back. My head was up against the plain bathroom toilet, as disgusting as that is. My legs are out of the um, bathroom door, like where the flight attendants stay. And I'm bleeding all over my mouth. I want to, I'll spare you some of the details because it was so disgusting, the things that happen when you have a seizure, but you can look it up. I had no idea where I was, like just totally confused. There's a flight attendant standing over me and I'm just, I'm bawling. And I, the, I can't describe the confusion. I think people who have had seizures understand this. Like it's such a, an utter lack of control um, which I think for a lot of us, even though I, I wouldn't have said this before, was probably one of my greatest fears, like having no control. And I know philosophically that I'm not actually in control of everything in my life and that, you know, I'm very small and God is much bigger and the world is much bigger. I get that. But I think there was something about this complete lack of control and understanding. Like I, I just had no clue what had happened. So yeah, the flight attendant, is like, are you okay? Are you okay? And the I was sit I was sitting on a, a window seat, which was even more appalling that this happened. So they they go back, they call for a, a doctor. Thank God there was a doctor on the plane. And this amazing woman comes up and starts talking to me. And she said she wanted to talk to the guy who's sitting next to me. And he said that, you know, about 20 minutes or so into the flight, I stood up. And he just assumed, oh, she needs to go to the bathroom, so I'm going to move. And he's like, I looked over, and your left arm was just shaking like crazy. And uh, he's like, but, I, you know, I didn't know. I don't, you know, he didn't know what to do. So, and then he said, I stumbled. And it's not like I was, like, drinking heavily or something. He's like, I stumbled all the way to the bathroom. And uh, he just had no clue what was going on. And then everybody kind of watched it happen. The crazy thing is now in hindsight, so I went to, I mean, a million different neurologists and had a million different tests done. And I spent, so that was the last week of December. I spent the next four months. So I couldn't go to countdown the next day. I stayed, they took me straight to Presbyterian hospital in New York city, um, from JFK. Um, and uh, the paramedics were there when when we landed. Luckily, we were about to land by the time all this happened. And so I stayed the night at the hospital. And I remember, so that next morning was countdown. Countdown starts at 10 um, in Bristol, which is two hours from New York City. And that whole time, you know, I'm, I'm completely alone because all of my friends are asleep. And I wasn't going to call someone at like one in the morning and be like, hey, I'm at Presbyterian Hospital. I want to come hang out. Like, I don't know what's going on. I think it just had a seizure. Uh, and uh, sorry, back up. The doctor on the plane had said, you've clearly had a seizure. This is what this means. This is what you need to do from here. So I, I go to the hospital. I'm, I'm laying alone. They didn't have any rooms available. So I'm on this cart um, in the hallway. And it's just empty. And there's nobody around. And I remember for the first time, kind of to go back to what we were talking about before, I spent so much of my life, like, not only trying to be approved by people, but trying to be connected to people, right? So it was like, 
if you have this boyfriend or if you have this boss that says you're good enough or, or hey, if you get married and then if you have kids and, and when it came down to it, like I was alone. And, and my husband, of course, was like texting me and, and calling and everyone was worried. But like in reality, I was by myself. At times I would lose feeling in certain parts of my body, just like scared and alone in this hospital. And I remember that the, one of the saddest things to me in that moment was that one of my greatest fears was that I was going to miss countdown the next day. And I was afraid of what that would mean. It was at a time of countdown where our ratings were bad, the show wasn't really that good, and uh, you know, there were rumors about are they gonna change who's the host, and man, they replaced Chris Berman with some random chick from game day who'd never hosted a show, you know, like all these voices in my head that were like, see, you, you aren't good enough, and now they're gonna have an out because you're not showing up to work, and, uh, and I think I just had this moment of like, is this really what you want your life to be? Like alone after something like that, worried about what people are going to say or what job you're going to have. It was such an eye-opening. And not because I, I decided in that moment like, oh, no, now I'm going to go do this whole different thing. It was just admitting to myself where I was at that I was in a phase of life where I cared too much about stuff. Not that work doesn't matter and not that like it's good to not show up to work or whatever. And, and side note, my bosses were amazing and everyone was like, do not come to work. You're absolutely staying at the hospital. Like the, everybody was super supportive, but I'm just telling you what I was thinking on the inside. It, it was finally for me a, a chance to admit to myself that I'd made things that are not the main thing, the main thing. And until I admitted that, it, I think it was impossible for me to work through how that got off track. And so that's why I say, and I said earlier, that it was really the kindness of God. I mean, I'm so grateful that, that nothing worse happened. I mean, I'm grateful that I, that I had a seizure in a nasty plain bathroom because, guys, as gross as that is, and it still seriously gives me chills thinking about what I was, what my face was was laying on. But guys, if I would have been holding one of my kids, if I would have been driving my car, which I just had to the airport, if I would have been on a run by myself and fallen flat instead of being in this tiny enclosed airport bathroom where like, yeah, I ended up with a bunch of bruises, but I had a lot of things to, to um, stop my fall. How and good a is God? Right there too. Yes, on the plane, and then the some of the best hospitals in the world, right down the street. I I I am choosing to see that as God's kindness and His. One of the things I'm most grateful for in life is that over and over again, God has allowed me to learn hard lessons really early. Like in my 20s, I learned so many lessons that now I can see people who are much older than me. Um, learning those later. And I, I, I don't know, maybe this is weird. I would just rather learn the hard stuff early so that I don't waste my life, so I don't waste time, so I don't waste um, energy or emotion on things that don't really matter. So it ended up, it was a, a difficult time. I couldn't drive for four months, so that that made me slow down. I feel like I've been in quarantine before, just this last uh, winter because of this. So I've got tips if you guys need them. Um, but it, it really, it was a good it was a hard thing, but it was a good thing for me. It's such a powerful uh, thought that, you know, 
as wild as that was on an airplane and in a bathroom, um, like so grateful you weren't holding uh, one of your three beautiful kids, you know. And uh, Cheryl Sandberg from Facebook, uh, she she lost her husband, and one of her um, kind of friends was this guy named Adam Grant, and the two of them just had this friendship. And he's like a he's a total stats guy, and so he just threw out all of these stats and. And one of the phrases that he kept saying to to Cheryl is, "It could have been worse, like it could have been worse." And like, and just, and I, I, I mean, just hearing you say that, like, oh my goodness, like the protection of it not being worse, but your willingness to receive that as an invitation to slow down, or an invitation to grow, or an invitation to see it as kindness. Um, and it just so speaks to your character um, in the face of such uh, unfair and adverse and unique forms of suffering, you know, and it's a, just a weighty story. So thanks so much for sharing. Yeah, sorry. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of Debbie Downer. <laughs> no, are you kidding me? Sam Ocho is the one who asked the question. <laughs> that guy. No, My bad. It's those My media bad. guys, you it, know, it, and the bad questions. Yeah. No, but it's hard, though. It's hard because... And Steve, you touched on it like you could have seen that situation and been like, my life is over. And even and, it, uh, and I'm not I'm not talking about for that moment because those thoughts come. I mean, trust me, like I think with everybody, those thoughts come. But it's almost like you saw God's kindness. It was like he it's like almost like he measured out his whatever the pain that you felt. It was almost like measured in a perfect dosage. Does that make sense? And like you saw that. And so I think about even like what we're going through right now with all society with COVID-19 and like, it's like, man, like this is crazy, but I mean, it's almost like you can see God's kindness in it. And sometimes it takes a little bit of, you might have to look around a couple curtains or whatever, <laughs> but it's like, but it's like, man, like to be alive. Yeah. To have I a think family. so much of the ability to have that perspective I credit to my parents because, you know, I know a lot of people, I, whenever I listen to people talk about struggle or pain or difficulty, you hear a lot of people that go through the process of asking why me, right? That's like a really natural thing to ask. But I think my parents early on in my life did a really good job of exposing me to such suffering and sadness and brokenness in the world that when things started happening, and some of them to be fair, were a result of my own bad choices. Like some of the bad things that happened in my life were because I was a fool and stubborn and thought I knew best um, and God didn't. You know, I wouldn't have said that, but that's what my actual decisions said. But um, to what I was saying about my parents, like I, I think because, because I saw so many people in in what I would have described as an unfair, undeserving way experiencing suffering or sadness when I started having experiences of my own whether it was with our daughter or with um, my own health issues or whatever I felt more human you know I felt more um like yeah now I'm I'm part of the team like life is hard you know it's hard and and the only people in life that we don't relate to are the people that seem to have everything go swimmingly. You know, the people who who um, 
it just, it always seems to be sunshine and rainbows and it's all, it's all great. So I actually felt more human and more, more dependent on God in a natural way. You know, I know we talked about this before about uh, how Francis Chan always talks about um, it being, it being one of the best things in life to, um, and maybe not one of the best things, but an easier way in life to understand your need for God is to struggle. And that sometimes distraction comes from what we consider to be blessing. Um, so in these moments where I was experiencing these things, there was a part of me that like, and I I don't know that I would call it character. And I, you know, I know that like, obviously, I'm, I'm glad you guys are. Thank you for saying that. But I, I don't even think it was that. I don't think it was because I was a good person or I had this. I think it was just because finally I was like, yep. Yeah, this is this is what it is to be human. To be human is to not always understand and to struggle and be sad and have things happen where you're like, why, God? Like, why? Why? Um, so it, it made me feel more connected to my my earthly brothers and sisters, if you will, more than ever. So I love that. I feel like that's just, I mean, anybody who's listening can relate to that, I hope, because it's just so, like you said, human. Um, you, you started your story out, Sam, talking about how um, when you were younger, you found like your kind of identity and what men thought of you. And, you know, you, you kind of, even as you were sharing, like, you know, you go on game day and you have, you know, thousands of guys now just like on Twitter or saying things or probably, you know, and then, then you, you have this moment of also finding your identity and your kind of achievements and like getting stuff done. What, what did it feel like when ratings are down? Uh, you're not sure you're going to, uh, the rumors are out there. And all of a sudden, you can't show up to work. You can't drive. You are all alone. And the team goes, we're sticking with you. Like, you're our quarterback. And it was nothing that you did. It was actually you at your probably most public low moment. And maybe that's unfair to say. I don't, but like just from a not, not showing up. I've had many. Okay. okay but not, <laughs> not showing. It's not an isolated. Yeah. Okay. But not, but not showing. But wait, there's more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Part two. Tune in. Ponder. <laughs> um, but what was that like to receive uh, love and affirmation and stability and security for who you are? Um, and not for what you just didn't do or did do. Yeah. So the, the industry, uh, is a weird one. And, and in many ways, I guess it, it's just like our, our society as a whole, where, um, when people are saying good things about you and things are going well, then you have more friends, right? And you have more people that, that want to be around you and you get invited to more stuff. And, but I kind of always had a sense, even early on, like when Christian and I first got married that first year, we were asked to host the SB's red carpet and we were always invited to all this stuff. And there was always something in me deep down. And maybe it's just cause I, I grew up really 
normal and and didn't know anybody who did stuff like that. There was always this part of me that was like, well, this isn't going to last. You know, like, (laughs) (laughs) they haven't figured it out yet. That's why they keep asking. (laughs) Like, once they know who I really am, uh, then all this stuff is going to go away. And, And a part of that sounds negative, but the truth is, like, that's reality. You know, that for anybody, it doesn't matter how big of a name and I'll, I'll spare you or spare them the, the listing of names. But even these people who are such a big deal in their era, eventually, like life humbles us all. And so I think I had this this understanding early on that it was it was only a matter of time. Um, I think for a lot of women in the sports broadcasting industry, there's frustration with like when you get to a certain age, you kind of you you get replaced by this younger generation. And I think one of the reasons I always struggled with that, and and that is true by the way, in a, in a lot of areas where where men don't necessarily experience the same thing. But a, a reason I struggled with that is because I've also been the young one who took somebody else's spot, and and frankly. Pretty much every woman in the industry has been in that spot at, at certain times. And that doesn't mean you haven't worked your way up and you, you don't deserve it. But that's kind of the flow of the industry when you work in entertainment. Um, and there's definitely ways that we can make that better. But I think going through that at the time where there was a lot of negativity around me publicly and the job I was doing and whether or not I deserved the position and and a whole list of of things maybe this sounds weird to say but I almost saw it as like okay good maybe this is God giving me a way out you know like in the moment just being honest with you like in the moment I remember thinking like oh so this is it like I knew this day was coming I, I thought it would probably be at like, what, for women in this industry, what is it, like 36, you're officially old, <laughs> and if you, don't, if you don't get the Botox game going, you're, you're out the door. I was like, well, this is a little early, 33, but I guess this is God kind of uh, giving me a way out. And, and instead, um, what happened was, and, and to be honest, it, it's been wild to be a part of, um, that next off season, there were some changes that were made on the show and uh, in in leadership and in a variety of different things. And there were changes company wide. And this year, um, I- I'm taking no credit for this because I did the exact same thing I've always done. Uh, the ratings were incredible and and jumped like at a just like an unexplainable level to the point where whenever my agent would tell me or somebody would tell me I'd be like so what's the real story <laughs> like what what's really going on here because it just didn't make sense to me and um and I don't know I'm still Steve to answer your question like I still don't know you know I don't know what all this means and um what I know is this I I grew up trying to understand what Paul meant when he talked about being content no matter what the circumstance, like when things were terrible or when things were great. Because I've had this tendency when like things get terrible, I'm like, oh no, oh no. And then when things get great, I'm like, oh no, oh no, something bad's gonna come. Where I'm not content in either. 
where we have this idea when like things start going well, all of a sudden, like you'll be happy. But that didn't work either. Things started going well. And I'm like, well, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> you know, like my interpretation was like, well, now we got to hang on to it. And you see that. You see that in the NFL. Um, I don't know if you see this with older pastors or not, Steve, but you definitely see this in, in yeah. media where when you get to the quote unquote top, then everybody's just trying to hang on for dear life. And um, and I don't want to do that either. So I guess my my answer is that I don't know. I don't know what all this means. I don't know. It, everything has happened so quickly. I mean, to go from that where you think it's all over. I mean, and by the way, that was the first week of the playoffs. So to miss a playoff show and just literally like it, it's not like it's kind of like Sam, your job or actually Steve, it's like your job, too. You can't just not show up. <laughs> like It's not like you can have just a sick day. Like, sorry, I'm not coming in today. So it was a big deal that I, I wasn't going to be there. But then to watch how this last season went um, and then kind of be riding high at the end of this. And then now the economy's in the tank, companies going through all sorts of stuff. I feel like the lesson over and over it is um, God does not change. Your circumstances keep changing. Like life would be a roller coaster. I would be a hot mess. I mean, I am a hot mess, but I would be emotionally just up and down all the time if I was riding the wave of my circumstances in this last season of life. So I'm, I'm hoping that I'm starting to learn that lesson. It's funny you said that. It, like As you were saying that, a verse came to mind. I was looking at it yesterday. I don't remember where it's at. I think it's in maybe it's in, uh, I don't remember, but it was Jesus talking. That Facts. works. Guarantee I'll take that. it. Um, but but he was he was telling a parable to the Pharisees, pretty much people who were just like they were the good goody two shoes, you know, the people who try to live all perfect, the people who nobody could relate to, right? The example you gave, and he said, "Heaven and earth may will pass away, but not one single word from from in that uh, translation it was the law and the prophets will pass away." And as I was reading that, right, heaven and earth could pass away, but not a single letter from the word of God is going to pass away. And I look at like society right now and it's like, it kind of looks like a lot of stuff is like passing away, right? You know what I mean? Like my bank account passing away. You know I mean? Preach. Like, like it's a lot of, we you know what I mean? so we don't cry. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it's like, but it's like God still remains. Like God doesn't change. Like, like Steve, can you touch on that real quick? Cause I, I mean, I just think about this idea of like the good, the, the question that you asked, right, man, God is still good. They still accepted me and they still loved me despite all of that. Like, like close it up for us, Steve. I mean, I think the, the thing that comes to my mind is, you know, Sam kind of dropping the, the Paul quote about con being content. And, you know, you, you read some of the passages of scripture and, and he's talking about being, you know, in danger and he just got rattles again and again of all the things that he's gone through. But in Philippians one, he, he speaks about being in chains and the gospels advancing. And you sit there and you're like, dude, you're in prison. How do you have this kind of perspective? And the crazy part is it literally like in Greek, the word advance, if you added one letter, it would literally change from advance to hinder. So that's what everyone would have assumed, that the gospel would be hindered because Paul, this great theologian, thought leader, teacher, is in prison. And he's like, no, 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 no. And again, I just come back to this thought of like, uh, 
So often we allow our circumstances to dictate how we act, think, and feel about God, ourselves, others. And Paul just had this clarion perspective to say, no, I, I trust. I trust that I'm here for a reason. I trust that even in the midst of calamity or uncertainty or unknown, you've put me here. And so I'm going to make goodness advance. And I think his perspective was, if I could maybe lead this Roman guard to Christ and that Roman guard could lead a Roman guard, and then maybe I could get to Caesar. That was like his end goal, because if I could get to Caesar, then I could literally have this message of grace and peace just spread throughout the entire regime and transform the world. So I think he had this audacious goal. But I just, I, I think what's so beautiful is, um, and especially for, for so many of us, we are so tied to our circumstances, and, and, and we are so tied to believing that when it's good, then we must have done something good to deserve this. Or when it's bad, we must have done something to deserve this. Rather than, no, 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 God's with me. You know, and, and David in Psalms 5 just simply says so beautifully, but by your great love, I am welcomed in your house. And I just, I just think it's so beautiful. It's like, by your great love, I'm welcomed in your presence. And like, just like you started with Ponder, just saying like, I just, I really want to experience his presence. And even in the midst of uncertainty, his presence, because by his great love, you're welcomed into his presence when you're alone in a hospital bed in New York City and your husband's five hours away by plane. You know, when there's free agency, Sam, and you are welcome in his presence. And just for me, I've just been really reflecting on um, learning to be present to his presence no matter what. And the more I can do that, especially in COVID world, especially in uncertainty, and especially in pain and sadness and struggle and suffering, um, I don't know, it just more it gives me confidence to become content um, and to recognize there's that, you know, little Romans 828, Lecrae, like all things can work together for the good, you know, of those who follow. So I don't know. It's just, it's, it's fun to step back, ponder, and kind of hear your story and just go, man, like you can see God stirring and God moving. You can see uh, your willingness and his kindness. Um, but it's also so fun to go, man, what a gift you're going to give to your three kids um, because of how you've chosen to walk through this. I'm so glad you you uh, said that the way you just said that, Steve, because when I was processing what you're saying, I think those two key things you talked about, Paul's trust and then the the love of God, when you know you're loved and you love God back. Like I think those things flow one to, to the other. When you know you are loved and you're secure in that, you know God loves you and you love him because of that then you're able to trust him 
with all this stuff. And that's where I kind of started realizing, oh, maybe the real the reason I don't fully trust him when my my daughter's life is on the line, when my life is on the line, when I don't know what's going to happen at work is cuz maybe I don't realize how much he loves me. And I'm and I'm not fully secure in that cuz to anybody out there who's listening, I can just tell you as someone who got to experience the things, let's call it the American dream right? Like for a kid that grew up the way I did, like I got to have the, the money, the relationship, the job, all that stuff really early on in life. And then I got it and I had the same issues and the same insecurities, some of them even worse. Um, and, and what it all came back to when you're talking about circumstances and not being a product of your circumstances, none of that stuff fixed any of those issues. The insecurity about work, you'd think I'd be like, well, I've got money in the bank. Why do I care? I was still insecure about it. The insecurity about my my value as a woman and am I enough? I was literally married, (laughs) you know, and I was still insecure about it. Am Am I pretty enough? Am I good enough at work? It doesn't matter how many thousands of followers you have on social media or how many yes men you have in your corner. If you do not know deep down in your soul, that you are loved and because of that, trust fully that God has this all under control and that he knows what's best and he's working for your ultimate good. None of that other stuff matters. So thank you for letting me kind of share that. Sometimes I want my story to just be like, you know, warning signs, like yellow lights at least flashing for for young people like me that think you can kind of figure it out on your own. Um, I, I hope my story helps a little bit. Seriously, I mean, that last part that you just talked about, you could have just dropped the mic and we just could have ended it. These right are there. expensive, though. I'm not trying I, to yeah. drop this thing. <laughs> <But> <laughs> not, not with an economy like this. Yes, man. that's right. That's right. <laughs> but I, th- I think, I think hopefully for everyone who's listening, man, I just, I just, everything becomes an invitation to recognize where do I find my love? And I think just when you know you're loved, uh, you will be able to trust. And that that is as rich um, and so strong and good. And so, Sam, thanks thanks so much for taking, you know, the questions from, you know, Acho. I was going to say, like, y'all, know, y'all know my job is to interview. So get ready to be grilled next time, okay? Sam's next. Pre- you guys were like, tell us your deepest, darkest yeah. secrets now. Yeah. Share with the world. I might miss a couple episodes. <laughs> they might see me in a couple, couple months. <laughs> Sam's going to be sick. <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in to the Home Team Podcast. We are so thankful every time you uh, comment or leave a review or reach out to us on Twitter at Home Team Pod or on Instagram at Home Team underscore pod. Um, but if any of you just need prayer, if any of you need just uh, someone to reach out to, hey, find me on Instagram or Twitter at Steve Ryan Carter. Uh, just want you to know that, like Sam has said, we are all in this together. And also, uh, I think Sam Ponder's story is so, so powerful. And if that resonated with you, uh, maybe just shoot her a line, maybe just uh, show some love on Twitter or Instagram. And um, again, thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Grace and peace. Thank you.